This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. So the computer apocalypse isn't going to be Skynet flavoured, right? So it's not as if they're going to make like hover spaceships that are covered in lasers and going to crush our skulls. In essence, what the computers are going to do is just withdraw their support from us. Like essentially they're going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll help you. Oh, today we're stopping helping you. And what we've learned this week and what I've specifically learned this week is that we are so or I am so hopelessly reliant on the various silicon chips and transistors and electrodes in my life that if the computers were like, mm, no more electrodes for you, Peach, I'd be like, well, that's me done and uh, you're welcome to enslave me in exchange <laughs> for access to any of the electrical stuff I used to have. So, Peach, I guess that's the, uh, that's the Matrix view of the future in which we'll all become battery for machines, right? I would take the blue pill every day. I know, right? Every Why single day. You? Like, <laughs> what's the fuck? It's like, yeah, I want to live in a weird reality where octopuses come and destroy my shitty submarine that where I can only eat porridge every day and wear rags that look like they came from Kanye's first Yeezy collection. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? But also part of the blue pill is I think you even forget that you had a choice between red and blue pill. Exactly. So you're not even torturing yourself. You're just like, yeah, like, let's just, let's just go back in. <laughs> exactly. And, 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 mm. and that is such a good segue into Lovecraftian slash cosmic horror where it's all ah, about the octopuses. more you know, the more you go crazy. And it's about <laughs> octopuses as well. Yes. I mean, Pete, you know what's really interesting, though, mm. is that is one way to look at how the computocalypse will happen. <laughs> the yeah. other way to look at it is the fact that we're starting to see with AI and data, everyone's mm. like, AI will be the most perfectly objective thing ever. It won't because it's written by humans. So we're starting to realize that data is inherently bigoted and racist and awful. Mm. And I think what's actually going to happen is we're going to create super hyper versions of our own prejudices which will destroy us that way like that's probably what's going to happen the idea of skynet being like humans are a disease i am the (laughs) cure isn't right it's going to be like i fucking hate whoever you hate more than you do and i've got people with different skin color a different different metal color to me are the worst but but anyway 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 so I, I do want to talk about cosmic horror because something you said a couple of episodes ago really struck a nerve. You just raised it again in that, yes, we all accept that H.B. Lovecraft was a terrible man, but at the same time, horror wouldn't exist without his short stories, which is crazy because short stories... Like, thanks? Your shru- shrugging emoji of thanks, question mark? But, 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 but... I mean, the way you described it is not wrong to be like, what if there was a giant octopus? <laughs> Which is Cthulhu, or however you pronounce that unknown great elder god of his writings. But I, I love the genre so much, but it is frustrating because it's really hard to bring it to life. Because 
It's basically based on this crazy thought that we are very much a minority in the universe of unthinking, super powerful beings that can basically make us go crazy just by letting us know that they exist. Just by the knowledge that they exist would make us go mad and destroy humanity. You know, I find that so interesting, but it's so hard to bring to life because it's such a niche genre. So it doesn't have big budgets. And so pretty much every time you have a Lovecraftian horror, it's always like a cop-out ending where it's like, and you couldn't see what they saw, but if you did, you'd go mad too. And it's like, oh, for fuck. Like, I just, I just, I want to see the crazy spot. Like, do you know what? Do you, but Peach, like, you're, again, like, I'm only describing these films, but I've described a lot. Basically, it's like Jeepers Creepers last week where it's like, yes, let's get some guns. Let's go out and kill the creeper. Yep. It's like, no, no, it's... it's Getting off at Redfern. Getting <laughs> off at Redfern. We've spoken about it before. And, like, aren't, aren't all Japanese monster movies, like, you see heaps of the shadows. You're like, oh oh, shit, here's a shot of the city, and look at the shadow of this insane monster, you guys. Every horror film that gets well-reviewed basically doesn't show its hand, and fuck that. Like, that is where you get people who don't understand the genre sharing it. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, the, I'm not talking about slasher films where starts with a grisly death and I just know what I'm in for, but if you're going to tease a monster or tease mm. a new reality to me, Give me something to satisfy me by the end of the film. And Peach, I've got to say, today we're doing a film that kind of satisfied me. Like, I've never seen a... And you know what? We don't have to call it Lovecrafty and we can call it Cosmic Horror. He doesn't own the genre. It's a Cosmic Horror film that kind of satisfies my desire to be driven mad by a giant octopus. It gets off at Central. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Peach, today we have a train that goes all the way to Central and into the city circle. Today we have a film from 2019 called Colour Out of Space. Pop, pop. Look at this. All those years in the big city, we finally got out. We're living the dream. Maybe it is a dream. Then everything just blew up. Big flash, like a pink light. Or actually, I don't even know what color it was. It wasn't like any color I'd ever seen before. Looks like a meteorite. I mean, it's radioactive. I mean, it's from space, right? Meteorites are generally no more dangerous than ordinary rocks. How can something that big just disappear? Did you plant those? No. Ward, you come here for a sec. Oh, God. What are you doing? Shh. He's talking to me. Who's talking to you? It's in the static, it's in the moisture, it's in here, it's out there. And what's out there is in here now. Everything's under control. Why are you so in denial? That thing from the meteorite changes everything around it. It's just the color. Butter burns. Can you believe me now? I don't know why I believe anymore. The color. The color. Everything's gonna be a-okay.
further proof that the horror genre can go wherever it wants. Today our slasher is a colour. This is so fun. This is like how in trademark law you can trademark smells and sounds. And so Harley Davidson has a trademark for the very specific like... No, really? Yeah, that's right. And so... If you make your motorbike with a very specific that's the Harley Davidson one, then look out. You might get a nice letter from whatever sort of just upper second tier law firm that Harley Davidson in Australia instructs. Maybe us. In fact, yeah, like we're available. Upper second tier. We take it. All right. Okay. So Harley Davidson, if you're looking for new counsel, peaches, your man. It's your big homie. So there's there's a there's a meme. I'm sorry for the trademark infringement. Just then. oh yeah, but no, not if it's coming. Surely, if it's coming from your mouth and not from a bike, you're not infringing trademark. You're right. It's not. I'm not using the trademark as a mark. So just to get into really interesting areas of trademark law, what if I drew a cartoon in the newspaper with the McDonald's M, right? I wouldn't be using the McDonald's M trademark as a trademark. So that's not a breach of trademark. But hang on, what if, what if, because mm. this is a podcast, I can see you right now because we're recording over Zoom. Mm. If you're listening now in the future, you can't mm. you can't see you. What if I said, hey guys, check out my new Harley Davidson. <laughs> is that, and it sounds like their sound, and I do a really good impression, is that breaking trademark? Probably not because you're not using the trademark as a trademark, right? Does that make sense? So you're not producing motorbikes that make that sound. Gotcha. You're just talking about it. So it's different to copyright. Mm-hmm. It's trademark. It's using it as a mark for trade, like a literal, oh, it's fascinating stuff. Do you know a color could be a trademark? The color <laughs> purple. There's this litigation between Cadbury's and Violet Crumble and like that sort of thing of like who gets to use purple for chocolate. It's good. So there's a meme going around at the moment about the Simpsons and about the fact that their lifestyle is not attainable anymore in that, you know, when it started, the idea of a high school educated single income family Mm. could live on the income from a single union protected labor job to afford both raising three children in a house of their own with two stories in a bustling suburb. The idea is that 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 is an impossible lifestyle to attain anymore. And who famously paid off all their debts by like age 38 or something. Do you remember yeah. the episode of like, hey, paid them all off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, well, let's start another mortgage. It's like, what are you talking about? Mortgages last for 25 years or 30 years. Anyway, anyway, so in the same way, I can't think of a more ineffectual kind of media in today's era than mm. the short story. Like, I, like, I'm all for you pursuing your artistic abilities and desires. Thank you. But if you're writing short stories in 2021, I, I'm, I'm sorry, they're just not going to do a thing. Like, they just, they won't have the same impact that a short story written in the 20s would, as is the case of today's film. I was going to say they'd go really well in a magazine, but then I realised no one buys magazines. Well, exactly, so, right? But even yes. then, it's like, what, like, what, what are they for? And it's like, mm. and fuck, like this is this is me being hyper prejudicial. You know, I am I'm probably seen as not a real writer because I work in advertising. But the idea that it's not even novel length, like you're not even committing to that. It's like a short story. It's just like, oh, here's here's a very short plot, you know, with a bit of a twist at the end. Uh, done. Here's my short story. I'm just like, no, no, that's not, that's not anything. 
Respectfully, you are literally a professional publisher. You are paid for what you write. And so you can come and weigh in and say, oh, if you have an ambition to be paid for what you write, <laughs> here are my thoughts. CD before 40, what's up? But also, I mean, you know, there, there's another thing about whether art is a profession. and but Like, there are so many other things. But anyway, I guess my point is it's like... Mm. So much of Lovecraft's influence on the horror genre is based on short stories he wrote, which is crazy to think that someone writing in the 20s is responsible for basically an entire genre that we've now based 89 episodes of a podcast on. This is Philip K. Dick syndrome, I presume. And and it's funny when you go back and read those, like The Man in the High Tower or whatever, they, like they're quite readable and good, but it is amazing to attribute so much of contemporary culture to one brain. And I know it's slightly inaccurate because we all like to cling to the myth of the lone genius. But sometimes, especially I think in art making, there is something to the lone genius. There is something to it clicking in someone's head. Like Picasso did paint paintings that were pretty amazing. And, you know, Beethoven they, he did painted write paintings some music. that you have been told are amazing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. So like, context uh, is if key. If you saw a Picasso out of context, you'd be like, oh, there's a painting. And Vincent von Gogh. You know, like, <laughs> I've been told he's great too. But anyway, anyway, so I, I just think it's crazy that based on that influence and that what the, the way the world has changed is that mm. in the 20s, you could be a struggling writer writing stories that would have an effect on the world a hundred years later. It's insane. Mm. Amazing. But anyway, so yes, this is based on a H.B. Lovecraft short story of basically the same name. Uh, it was called The Color Out of Space. This film's just been shortened to Color Out of Space. It's crazy we've got this far into the podcast without mentioning that this film stars Nicolas Cage. And we have talked about the Cage effect before in that he started out as the most revered actor and now has become yes. a meme. But through horror, specifically through a film from a couple of years ago called Mandy and now this film, he started to find his feet again because his peculiar style of, you know, pantomime-esque zero to 100 acting works perfectly in horror. The idea that you can go from being a normal person to being crazy, like, not that many people can do that convincingly and he sells it and he will sell it in this film for you. It's so funny as well, that model of using low art to become high art again to be like oh i only appear in like schlocky crazy things because i take a high art approach to appearing in schlocky things and it's, and and that sort of there's that cognitive dissonance but that somehow works i'm like yeah man you've done it you know <laughs> you, you only eat mcdonald's mcdonald's cheeseburgers are your favorite food so you know everything about culinary life i get it now this film also stars Tommy Chong, a.k.a. Chong from Cheech and Chong. I never went through a weed phase, so when he appeared on screen, I was like, there's just an actor playing a role. But apparently it's a really cool cameo if you are a fan of that like old-school stoner comedy. Oh, does that mean like horror is pitched at men even older than us who are medium-boring? I mean... Horror is, what I love about this genre is mm. you can absolutely be yourself because it's absolutely a genre for the outliers. Yeah, okay. People will get into the A24, the Hereditaries and the Midsummers, but then they'll invariably leave for the next Phoebe Waller-Bridge TV series, right? Like, to <laughs> yeah. actually stay in horror, you are, by definition, a bit of an outcast. And that's kind yeah, okay. of amazing. And that does include... Act, not cool out, not cool filming outcasts, but actual outcasts like loser older men, which you know we either are or are going to become very soon. 
I still remember going to the Hold Steady in like 2009 and being like, we are, we, like, we are the youngest people here and the only, a member of the only gender that's represented Man, here. like it is rough when you go to a concert and the whole audience is men and you're like, what did we do wrong here? And how have we been tricked so well? That's when you're like, oh, fuck. It's like, who's that flute player that lures kids to their death? Whatever that, you know that... That fairy, you know that fairy tale about the oh, rat cats? Pied Piper, the yeah, pie, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. some bands are Pied Pipers for men and you don't know until you go to the concert and you're like, ah, oh, fuck. You'll be surprised to hear Australian rap music is like that as well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay, so The Colour Out of Space from 2019. Like I said before, this is cosmic horror, but as you'll see towards the end, it at least satisfies a little bit of that itch of teasing you with, what the cosmic horror actually could be like if you experienced it in person, which is really cool. All right. So it starts with Nathan Gardner, Nicolas Cage, and in the wake of his wife Teresa's mastectomy, he decides to move his family, including children Lavinia, Benny, and Jack, to his late father's farm. So classic horror movie opening, a, a leaf change. We're following change. a car. We've got a tracking. We're following a car from a helicopter or uh, from a drone. To be honest, I, don't, I think we just start there. I, or actually, I think we start with the teenage daughter doing like a Wiccan ceremony, which becomes a thing that happens later in the film. But we very much start there. Peach, as someone who did take a sea change way before it was cool, Mm. the one thing people don't talk about when you take a sea change or a tree change is that life becomes a whole lot more spookier than it is if you live in an urban area. Yeah, don't even get me started. Like, I've just got open woodland like five metres from my back door. There could be any number of (laughs) monsters in there. (laughs) And because there's like marshy, boggy areas, there could be like a marshy type monster (laughs) or a bunyip or whatever. And I used to have to walk the dog or I used to choose to walk the dogs at night at like 9.30, 10 o'clock and be genuinely, you know, like glancing in the corners because the lady in black might jump out at me. Like I can't listen back to this podcast at night time when I'm walking the dogs or doing the garbage or doing any maintenance outside at night. Look, take that sea change, take that tree change, but look out for monsters as uh, Nathan. I've already fucking forgotten his name. Darren? Nathan Gardner. Nathan, sick, as he's about to learn. I think that's actually a really good stat that we should bring up is the fact that do take a sea change or a tree change, but according to the horror genre... (laughs) R.I.P. It's like buying a motorbike, right? The moment you buy a motorbike, you're something like 500% more likely to die on the road. It's something ridiculous like that. Ditto for doing a sea change or a tree change, you're far more likely to be the protagonist in a horror film. Yep, 100%. I love it. Yeah, like imagine that. Hey, I was living in the country for heaps of years and I've just, you know, bought a unit in, you know, Potts Point. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like the exciting monster there doesn't doesn't really arise, I guess. Anyway, so they're living on their father's farm with their three kids. One night, a brilliantly glowing meteor crash lands in their front yard, briefly traumatising Jack, who is the youngest. The next morning, Mm. hydrologists... Now, there's a side plot which may come up in this Wikipedia plot synopsis. I don't know if it will because this is the first plot synopsis I've read that has started with two warnings from Wikipedia. The first saying this section's plot summary may be too long, even though it's, long. it's seven paragraphs long. And it's like, guys, oh, fucking, fucking calm down, seven paragraphs. And then the second warning says this section may need to be rewritten to comply with Wikipedia's quality standards. So Dude. bear that in mind. 
Is this the first time we've seen such warnings? That's because the first we, time I've seen warnings. We should we could contribute to the community by sending some more warnings of how shit some of these entries are being. <laughs> Maybe the one for dread, mainly. <laughs> the well-cooked steak on a plate. It was well-cooked. No, a slightly salted, well-cooked plate. Slightly salted. That is actually the best creative work I've made, including all the works I've made with you. It's my, my favourite, the Dread episode. Ten minutes through 13 minutes. We'll never top it. We'll never top it. Mm. But yeah, so there's this side plot, and I don't know if it's going to happen in this, of the water being contaminated and big government not... Con- or like not even, but local government not caring and selling mm. land to develop. There's a weird eco-message in here that is unwelcome and every time it's on screen, it's like, just don't even pay attention because that's boring. But anyway, the next morning, the hydrologist, Ward Phillips, who becomes a bit of like a semi-love interest to the teenage daughter, is surveying the area for a dam development, along with the mayor and the sheriff of the nearby town of Arkham, arrive to see the meteor. That night, during a storm, Nathan and Lavinia, so uh, the dad and the daughter, mm. witness the meteor being struck by numerous bolts of lightning. And the other thing about the meteor is it's like brightly and beautifully coloured. And what I think is so cool about this is, is you'll see that this is absolutely a horror film, but horror films generally, as Alexei pointed out a couple of episodes ago, since Saw have been muted colours, dark, dungy, again, the Yeezy colour palette. <laughs> but this, this movie is bright and colourful and vibrant and beautiful, but also absolutely horrifying. A24, let's do it. So Ward notices that the groundwater has taken an oily sheen and tests it. When his test strips begin to glow brightly with the colour, he advises the gardeners not to drink it. <laughs> While notifying nearby resident Ezra of the contamination. Now, Ezra is like a squatter that lives on their property. He's played by Tommy Chong. And his character's a bit like, I'm a squatter, man. Like, I don't, I don't know the Cheech and Chong jokes, but I think there's like some nod to it in the way he plays this. It's like, it's gently comic relief. And he's basically a hippie that, and plays that classic role in horror films where, or, or at least alien films, where he's the hippie that believes this stuff, but what he believes actually is true. And what everyone else rationally believes isn't true. This is the drunk in the alleyway who, on seeing the crazy alien, then looks sceptically at their bottle of alcohol and goes, ooh. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. yep. So... Clyde Barker's favourite character. Fuck, he's lazy and shit. <laughs> I hate Clyde Barker. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jack, who is the youngest son, becomes fixated on the property's well, observing strange plant growths and insects, as well as claiming to communicate with a friend inside the well. A news crew arrives to interview Nathan about the meteor, but finds it has vanished, and they basically paint him as a a hick who believes he saw aliens, but he was drinking that night. And there's like a funny scene where they watch back the news interview that night on TV, and they basically paint him as an idiot, and he gets really upset, and it's, it's quite enjoyable. Anyway, later, while Teresa is preparing dinner... Now, this is where... This is where you're like, oh, fuck, this is actually a horror film. You notice that she starts to go into a bit of a trance. Like, basically, Mm. we've seen plants, we've seen insects, things, you know, we've seen the young son become, like, a little bit hypnotized by the thing. She's just chopping these carrots very finely, and you're watching it happen very quickly and very close to her fingers, and she's just not paying attention, and you're like, no, 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 no. And it it keeps bringing it up, and it's like, no, 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 no. And then the son goes up to her, And she's like, yes, dear. And then the camera cuts to her hand and she chops off two of her fingers, like right at the (sighs) joint, 
like just slices right through them and they just come up and you just like and she's like what and she holds up her hand she doesn't even really know what's happening she's like yes and you're just like fuck no like it's fucked like it's so fucked so as as Nathan rushes out of the hospital he leaves Benny in charge on Nathan's request Benny goes outside to put the farm's alpacas back in the cell. So they have alpacas. And it's sort okay. of like a sort of... That's classic tree, classic tree change animal. Right? That's awesome. And he keeps making jokes yeah. about being like, do you know how much they cost and how much they'll do for us sort of thing? And it's like, you don't. You've never been a farmer. You're ridiculous. <laughs> on Nathan's request, as I said before, so on Nathan's request, Benny goes outside to put the farm's alpacas back in their stables, but does not return until late at night, claiming time had passed instantaneously for him. Meanwhile, Ooh. Lavinia attempts multiple times to contact Nathan, but they are unable to reach each other through the phone. So every time she tries to call her dad, it's just like... It's just like this weird, scary static. Upon the parents' return, Nathan lashes out at Benny and Lavinia with uncharacteristic rage. So he's like, I'm disappointed in both of you, but gets actually like super angry like and proper Nicolas Cage angry. So this is where they start using... His his one tool uh, acting tool he really has at the moment for the benefit of the film for these, uh, these outbursts of anger that just weren't there before. Later, Nathan becomes frustrated after finding that his most recent harvest of fruits has proven inedible, and Teresa snaps <laughs> after losing a work client due to their faltering internet connection, bringing the two to a fight. So. Their lives have sort of continued to go on, but they're just getting more and more annoyed at each other, and they're noticing more and more that they're sort of being cut off from the world because her internet's not really working, the phones don't work, you know, little things like that. Yeah, Everything's okay. changing. Are we starting to feel alone and scared, or or, or how, how are we feeling? There's 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 a trope that I quite like in horror where as the film progresses, you start to realise there was never any escape. And this is absolutely one of those films. I find that a very disturbing but very pleasing horror trope. Like, I find that very engaging. The the absence of hope or or the certainty of pain, certainty of death. Yeah, exactly. But only, but a realization that doesn't come till later. This feeling that, no, maybe we can get out. And then you look back on all the signs and it's like, oh no, we never had a chance. So, the same night, Lavinia tries to perform a Wiccan ceremony to save her family, mutilating herself in the process. Teresa suddenly hears Jack and Benny screaming after entering the alpaca stables and rushes to their aid, but in the process, a bolt of colour... Now, this is full on, right? A bolt of colour lashes out and hits Teresa and Jack, so the mum and the youngest son together, and we don't know what happened, but Wikipedia now reveals it, so I'll just tell you. Eventually, we realise that they've essentially been fused together into this deranged body horror mass where both of them can't really speak, but they're basically like, and then because, and then the kid's like, and she's stuck and the kid's stuck on her back. And they're basically just like kind of half human, half blob. And they're just like, they, and it's like, what, 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 like, and this, this to me is, is really exciting. Cause I'm like, most body horror and most cosmic horror films don't go this far. And it's like, what an interesting conundrum to put a family in. Because, like, what the fuck do you do when your partner and your child fuses together into, like, this unholy new form? Like, what are you supposed to do with it? Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, it is just a mind-melting, like, uh, 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 fuck. 
Anyway, so unable to start the car or call for help as all electronic devices have stopped functioning. So you can start to see the fact that, okay, they, they are actually trapped. And upon discovering sunlight harms Teresa and Jack, Nathan and the children carry them into the attic. Benny reveals that he had witnessed the alpacas after a horrible mutation due to the colour. So the alpacas now are basically like a slime pile. They're all skinless and they just have alpaca heads sticking out of this slime pile and they're all just like screaming in agony like just fucking kill me. God. Nathan decides to euthanize the alpacas with a shotgun after finding they have similarly fused together. Beginning to lose his sanity, Nathan also attempts to euthanize Teresa and Jack, but is unable to bring himself to. And there's a really tense scene where he basically goes up to his wife and his son and he kisses them both. And they can't really speak or communicate. And you can't tell whether they're scared of him or they're like, no, please, just, just, just do it. Just shoot, just shoot. Oh, but God. he doesn't and he's like, no, I'm going to find help. Meanwhile, Lavinia and Benny conspire to leave the farm using Lavinia's horse, but it runs from the property. Before returning inside, Benny insists he hears the family's dog inside the well. But upon climbing in, and again, like after all you've seen, don't <sighs> climb into the fucking well. Oh, God. But upon climbing in, he is also assimilated by the colour. Nathan displays more uncharacteristic rage and locks Lavinia in the attic with Teresa and Jack, who have turned to aggression. So at this point, they've become this weird, like, spider creature with the mum's head on top and the son's head on the bottom. And they're just scary. Like, it's just fucking disgusting. (laughs) Ward and the sheriff are brought to the farm after a nearby resident discovers a fused mass of animals and arrive just in time to break into the attic. Nathan shoots and kills the now monster, saving Lavinia. Oh, God. After rushing outside, Nathan attempts to shoot the colour emerging from the well. So at this point, the colour is now... It seemed like the colour was almost living in the well, like it was in the media, or then it was in the well, and it was slowly starting to go out and, like, infect everything. It's, um, it's now, you know, mask off, emerging out of the well. Nathan attempts to shoot it, but the sheriff mistakes Nathan's aim for Ward and fatally shoots him. Ward and the sheriff leave to evacuate Ezra, and Lavinia insists on staying with Nathan. At Ezra's house, the pair only find his desiccated corpse and a recording he left behind where he surmises that the colour is attempting to remake Earth into something it knows. So this is where we come back to the cool thing about cosmic horror. The colour isn't evil. The colour is just something alien that's like, oh, I don't know this. I'm just going to make it like the way the world I know. Heading back towards the farmhouse, a mutated living tree kills the sheriff. Now, this is one of those classic scenes where it's like they're all running and all of a sudden out of the background, you just see a weird tree branch, pick one of the characters up and bring it and like take it up and you hear a scream and then they're dead. It's just a weird fun scene that I like that you wouldn't have in any other genre. Now, remember, like I probably should have said, Ward is the hydrologist who's kind of the love interest, uh, Mm. returns to rescue Lavinia, but finds her possessed by the colour, which explodes out of the well and forms a funnel into the sky. Now, this is where it gets so fucking cool. All right, so because of this, Ward, through Lavinia, is shown a vision of where the colour hails from. And you get to see, for not very long, for like 15 seconds... A psychedelic exoplanet inhabited by these tentacled alien entities. And you do this really cool long fly-through. Now, it's not the best CGI. This is not an expensive film. From what I understand, I think it was funded by Elijah Wood's production company. And, like, Elijah Wood's not the wealthiest or most well-known actor in the world. So I can't say, like... So I'm sure they didn't have the best budget. But they did a really good job. And you know what I mean? It's like, 
I've already seen family members fuse together and now I've seen where the colour comes from and the aliens that, you know, it's trying to replicate. And I've seen it in such a way that I'm not like, oh, well, that's that. I'm like, no, I'm excited about the possibilities of this. You've given me enough to be more excited. But anyway, after he sees this, Lavinia disintegrates. As space and time begin to unravel, Ward enters the farmhouse and is pursued by a murderous Nathan. He hides in the wine cellar as the colors distortion of reality eventually drives the entire property to destruction, leaving Ward the only survivor as he climbs out the remains of the farmland. Now a colorless, ashy, blasted hearth. Basically, it's a giant meteor crater that's completely white. Like That's what's so cool. We've gone from absolute color to basically black and white. In an epilogue, a traumatized ward stands on top of the finished dam which covers the former property and narrates that having witnessed the colors takeover, he will never drink the Tam's water. That is the color out of space from 2019. Peach, what did you think? I think that's really satisfying. I quite like like I quite like being shown protagonists and then having them switch, which I think horror does quite well. Like it's almost the scream lesson of like guys, it's Drew Barrymore. Oops, um, you know. And here it's like cool. It's a Nicholas Nicholas Cage. You know, it's a Nicholas Cage and Jolly Richardson film. Oops, Jolly Richardson's in the monster. Okay, it's a Nicholas Cage film. Oops, Nicholas Cage become irrelevant. Oh, it's Lavinia film. Oops, like I think there's a degree of. self-reflexivity in writing a story like that to be like okay am I just leaning on tropes about what a main character is am I just writing a final girl to go through my scenario or I'm actually engaged in the story I'm creating and I think to then round it all together back to the hydro the hydrologist and back to the dam I think it's just good storytelling I like that guy I don't want to watch it like I feel like I've watched mm. it you know but but I'm sort of like yes I get it thumbs up uh, and much like every Freddie Gibbs album, I'm like, I accept that they're very good. <laughs> um, I, don't, like, I don't need to listen to them, but, you know, it's good. I'm glad Freddie Gibbs is doing it. I also think, to, just to end this on, you know, one more final note about why horror is awesome and why I'm glad you've stuck with us on this podcast and hopefully you're starting to realise how good it is. Do you remember, mm. and like in hindsight, I think we all built Game of Thrones up to be a bit better than it like it's still great and it was really enjoyable and we had fun but the fact that everyone's completely forgotten about it after a an okay final season shows that maybe we just got a bit too excited about it in the first season i remember everybody being like guess what your favorite character they might die and it's like that was the thing to be like you know this show breaks all the rules fucking watch horror to your point like become a horror fan and you can never trust that anyone will survive so good so good Fuck Game of Thrones. (laughs) Uh, This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up? Hi, this is Al Grigg, voice of the disclaimer at the start of every episode of Spooko. I'm here with a very special disclaimer for you. So just a quick disclaimer for last week's episode. So I guess a post disclaimer it's not really a disclaimer uh, it's more do... an expression of regret uh, I... it's expression. well look it, it's an expression of miss nuance and mm. i just want to say a big shout out as always to the spooko yes. community i feel so privileged to be part of this mm. community i love hearing from you guys uh, i especially want to give a shout out to ben who reached out after last week's episode and was like my dudes i know you would want to know this so Just so you do know, the director of Jeepers Creepers, Victor Salva, was actually sort of... uh, A convicted pedophile, was he not? 
We aren't. We are anti-pedophile on this podcast. He is. He, he was like you. We probably should have mentioned the fact that pre Jeepers Creepers in 1988, he made a film called Clown House, in which he was convicted of abusing a 12-year-old on set, creating child pornography of that kid, and also possessing child pornography at home. He went to jail. Did I think three years in jail for it, and uh, after that, came back into the industry and directed Jeepers Creepers. This is why now. Every time I would go to a film, I'm going to click on that director's name and just scroll down the Wikipedia to look for controversies. Uh, so obviously, we are absolutely uh, not a pro-pedophilia uh, podcast. And uh, yes, thank you, Ben, for reaching out. Like it's worth sorry, sorry. Like like I I accept it. Like I, like it's it's it is worth saying. Fuck Victor Salva. Fuck pedophilia. Consent is king. Spooko forever, and thank you all for your help and support. Oh, and Al Griggs on the show next week.